Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back and he's continuing in our series on Galatians. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do that on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can do that on our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Are you free? I'm not talking about the freedom of living in a democracy. I'm talking about spiritual freedom, emotional freedom. Because you can be free on the outside and be in bondage and be enslaved on the inside. So let me see those hands. You believe you're free. I want to see those hands. Okay? So no anger dominating you. No insecurity dominating you. No fear, no fear dominating you. That says you're not free, though. Because you see, if we're angry, if we're depressed, if we're insecure, if we're all these things, resentful, jealous, that's not freedom. That's bondage. That's bondage. Though we may not be wearing shackles, in our interior self, our emotional, our spiritual self is still enslaved. So we want to learn how do we experience true freedom. Because emotional and spiritual freedom are really the most true freedom that you can experience. And some of you could testify to this, I'm sure. So we continue this series, Survey of Galatians called living free. And you know, once again, it's crucial that we understand what it means to be born again. What does it consist of it? What does it demand? Are there any conditions to it? Because if we don't understand this, we will be susceptible to be misled, manipulated, and put into bondage. Put into bondage. Today's message is entitled Freedom. If you take out your outline, the opening verse of the passage that I'll focus on today is on top of your outline on the front panel. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. So Christ has really set us free. But have you experienced that? Because what you see printed doesn't necessarily mean that that truth, though it's biblical truth, may not be true in your life. That's where it matters. Is it true in your life? So Christ has really set me free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Or you could say to outward behaviors. See, by faith... We've been set free from the law of Moses. That's kind of the the theme here in Galatians. So all of the ceremonial rituals, the regulations, the commandments, even the Ten Commandments, we've been set free of those things through the sacrifice of Christ. But under the influence of false teachers, in this instance, they were called what? 
Judaizers because they were trying to make Gentiles become Jewish so they then could be Christian. These Gentile Galatians were attempting now, after believing in Christ, they were attempting to obey the law, to be or to stay right with God. And righteousness just means right with God. Now, Paul encouraged and warned these people not to forsake their freedom. Spiritual freedom is several things we'll consider in this passage. Is found in God's grace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. And this is on page 940, 940 on the BAB, the Bible available at Brookwood. Verse 2, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. He restates it. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Now, these Galatians may have been deceived to think that circumcision would show great motivation. Now, we know what circumcision is. And some of y'all need to give me some of those uh, essential oils to do away with this uh, allergy. You know, I never order gluten. I've never ordered gluten one time. And I only eat round. My food is whole because I only eat donuts, (laughs) hamburgers, and pizzas all round, all whole. But somehow I have these allergies. Back to the serious matter. What, what is this one? Will this make me smarter? Here's my point. We'll see what that does. But <laughs> now, I'm, y'all get back on track here. Get back on track. So these Galatians, and you can understand, understanding what circumcision is. Our little grandchild got, was circumcised this past week. And you can imagine circumcision of an adult male. Terrible. And so you could understand how that would seem to display great motivation to please God, right? To just endure the pain, to endure the surfing. I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm I'm serious. And so what what will it would take to say, I want to please God, so I'm willing to do this, which would be, you know, uh, horrifically painful. So they were trying to show that they wanted to be rightly related to God. And since they weren't born Jews, they were born outside of his promised people, outside of his law. And they're being convinced by these false teachers that now to get close to God, first you've got to become a Jew. Now that really sounds kind of reasonable, doesn't it? But it's not true. It's completely false. Paul knew that if they required obedience to any part of the Mosaic law for justification... 
then they were committed to obeying all of it perfectly for salvation. See, here's the thing. You can't decide on to pick and choose a few parts of the law. Because as James says, if you break any of it, you've broken all of it. Because you go from being a law keeper to a law breaker. So, you know, you couldn't say, well, just do circumcision or the Sabbath or the Passover. You couldn't do them, do them for righteousness sake without being responsible for keeping all of the commandments, engaging in all of the ceremonies, practicing all of the rituals. And he continued in verse 4. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God, there's a key in it. If you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, by obeying, by behaving in a certain way, that's all what we're talking about, outward behaviors, you have been cut off from Christ. In other words, you don't benefit from the sacrifice of Christ. And you have fallen away from God's grace. Boy, it seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? But here's why it's extreme. Because in doing that, you're declaring that God's work of grace through Jesus' sacrifice is what? Say it, somebody back there said it. It's not enough. It's insufficient. It didn't go far enough. So you must rely on something added to it. And that's something that comes out of you. Your behavior, obeying this law, showing your intent, so that you'll become acceptable to God. Now you see this in all its bare detail. Christ isn't enough, is what you're declaring. Now, Paul wasn't here suggesting that a genuine, a born-again believer could lose his or her salvation. He was saying that people who are seeking to be justified by this law, by these religious behaviors, in any measure, in any measure at all, have rejected the offer of complete salvation by grace. You see, a truly born-again person, I believe, can become deceived by some persuasive teacher into believing that if you'll do these other things, you will become more righteous you will become more spiritual. Anybody ever been taught that kind of stuff? You need to do this. Now, Michael, you need to do this. You got to dress like this, though, but you got to act like this, and you got to, you know, don't do this, and don't do that, and don't dance, and don't, and you shouldn't probably, but. (laughs) But that person who was a believer but has fallen prey to this manipulative teaching misses out on the peaceful experience of living under grace in freedom. They don't lose their salvation, but you know what? They lose the joy 
of their salvation. The peace of their salvation. And some of you have lived there. I haven't done enough. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done the other. Modern day Judaizers will tell you, you need something more. You're missing something. Anybody ever been told that? You're missing something. And this something will make you more spiritual. This something will draw you closer to God. And it might be practicing certain disciplines. If you, if you fast, if you observe the Sabbath, and, and I, if, you, if you tithe, and I fat, still fast every week, and I have always tithed, but, but not for justification, not for salvation, for an expression of love. You see the difference? Or it might be something that you, you, there's, there's something you're missing you, you need a second baptism to really know God or you need to speak in tongues. There's something else you need to do. And I'm not denouncing tongues. I'm just saying, Paul said, seek the greater gifts. There are lots of gifts and we have a range of them. And none of them add to salvation. And none of them improve justification. You see my point? All of these are external experiences, and many of them are valid. I don't believe all the gifts have, have um, gone out of existence. But I think you have to be a little bit skeptical when you observe it, because a lot of gifts are almost, it's, they're self-authenticated. I can do something and then declare I have a gift. You don't have any way to confirm it biblically. But, but I still believe they're not all extant they're not they're still they still exist but these are all external experiences that add nothing to God's grace or Jesus sacrifice it's finished and that's what he said on the cross I think Christians who are somewhat apprehensive about grace some people just seem to carry a burden of guilt all the time. They drag shame with them through their lives. Christians who are apprehensive about grace often seek a church fellowship or Bible study that's real rule-oriented. So that there's someone who can tell them how to be spiritual. You know something about that? But did it work? No. But the problem is when you're told if you do this and this and this, you'll be more spiritual, you'll be closer to God. And then when you're not, you're now afraid to say it. So you have to hide it now. External rules won't keep us close to God. We have a personal relationship with him through the Spirit. And the Spirit in us, if, unless we're quenching the Spirit or grieving the Spirit, the Spirit, if we're walking with the Spirit, following the Spirit, He will lead us into ever greater intimacy with God. 
Now what happens, you have to spend some time in his presence. You need to learn his word, but not only his word, there's something else we need to learn. And Moses asked God for it. We need to know God's word, but we also need to know God's what? His ways. Moses says, God, show me your ways so that I might continue to find favor with you. In other words, show me your ways so I can continue to walk with you cohesively, cooperatingly. And we also grow closer as we express our love through worship. You know, some of you that are always buttoned down, let me urge you to give voice to what you feel about God. It helps when you tell your wife you love her. It helps when you tell your grandchild or your child you love him. Why wouldn't it help change you when you speak of love for God? So is your relationship with God growing? Now you have to answer this. Is it growing? And if not, will, are you willing to take some steps? I'm asking, are you? I want to see some hands that are willing. You're willing because I'm going to ask something of you. This year, I'm really going to focus on experiencing God. In fact, the first series will be a survey of um, experiencing God with a workbook. And it, it has several days of work to do. And I'm, ask, I'm going to ask every one of you to buy a book and participate and try to align yourself with God. Not to earn forgiveness, remember, to build relationship, to come to know him. Invite your friends that have no church or the ones that just don't know whether you can even know God. Will you take some steps? I'm asking you. We're going to start in the fall, and I'm going to carry through that theme the whole year of learning, of hearing from God, learning from God, walking with God. What does faith mean? Spiritual freedom is also faith expressed through love. Verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Now, that's a little bit confusing. Are you righteous, Stephen? Yeah. But what does this verse mean? You're waiting for righteousness. It's both and. Yeah. Completion. Fulfillment. You're declared perfect. You're becoming perfect. You're declared holy. You're becoming holy, practically speaking. It's both and. We have a relationship with God we have, because we've been declared perfect, holy, righteous. And yet, as a practical matter, we're becoming holy, righteous. But it won't be completed until after these lives end. When we're born again... We receive the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who enables us to have 
a relationship with God, a direct connection. Our spirit bears witness with his spirit. And it becomes more and more intimate. We become more and more aware of God as the spirit is given leadership in our lives. As we keep in step with the spirit is one way of seeing it. As the Spirit shapes our lives and conforms us so that we look more and more like who? Like Jesus. Romans 8, 29. So if you're born again, you ought to see that you have more family resemblance to Christ today than you did a year ago. Because the Spirit of God is working, shaping. He's cutting away some things. He's building up and strengthening some other things. But we don't experience complete righteousness on earth. Verse 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. It just doesn't matter. Now, is Paul saying that circumcision is sin? No, he's not. In fact... Paul actually encouraged another man to be circumcised. Who was it? Yell it. Timothy. Imagine that. The day you go to work and Paul says, Timothy, I got an assignment for you. (laughs) Well, Timothy, see, Timothy's mother was Jewish, but Timothy's father was Greek. And because Timothy was going to be ministering to Jews Paul thought it would be advantageous for him to be circumcised to remove that barrier of communicating with them. Now, that's a sacrifice for Christ's sake. (laughs) The point is, the real point here is that it doesn't matter because Jesus fulfilled all the demands of the law. Matthew 5, 17, all satisfied. He didn't eradicate them. He didn't remove them. He didn't declare them invalid. He satisfied every one. Christians don't produce perfect righteousness in their own lives. Judaizers suggested they did. But see, to do that really turns our vision where? Right here, inward. I'm focusing on myself, saying, oh, well, how am I doing? How am I doing here? Oh, I'm doing really good here, but I don't know about this guy. He's not doing very well, but I'm doing really good on this point. And so this this self-focus builds pride, divides people, causes competition, and a critical spirit. I don't think you've ever been in a real legalistic environment that wasn't really pretty mean because it's all full of comparison and criticism. And and then if you fail, if you just say, well, I can't do this, I can't keep up, I keep failing, then you end up immersed in guilt and shame because you're spending too much time looking in the mirror, too much time looking at the outside The latter part of verse 6. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. True faith 
being born again by the Spirit of God, always produces love. Anybody disagree with that? Always invariably produces love. Love for God, who's the giver of grace, who who gives us our spiritual life. Love for his word, because you, you, wanna, you want every bit of communication God has to offer you and you value that communication, whether it be direct or whether it be from his word. But also love for others. Because when you've experienced God's love, you suddenly are able to love anybody that loves him. And even people who aren't following the Lord, but you can see they are made in the image of God. And so you give dignity to people wherever. Is that true of you? It's interesting, isn't it, that you can, you can love someone you never met before because of common faith. Perhaps even more than someone you've known all your life and you might even be related to. Because that common love for Christ is the strongest bond there can be. It transcends race. It transcends economic status. It transcends any of this stuff. I mean, Leanne and I were over at the the, um, water park yesterday with our grandson, not just the two of us. But I was out there in all my glory. But um, so, you know, we're swimming, and I see this guy, this this African American guy, he's probably my age, maybe even a little older, and he he's wearing this T-shirt, proclaiming Christ. And he, I didn't know him; he didn't know me. But I slid over there and I said, "Man, I I sure appreciate the way you testify." And there was a there was a real affinity. Man, I never met, but it's because the affinity is in Jesus Christ. And I had this, I had this T-shirt where you dunk in the water and then Jesus comes out. <laughs> I'm not making this up. In fact, I wore that thing one time at the beach. And uh, we were talking about something serious about God and about prayer. And, and I didn't tell anybody I had it. I didn't tell anybody I had it. So I, I dropped myself down, and I jumped up, and Leanne said, it's a sign. <laughs> and Aubrey, now if Aubrey acts all skeptical, she was all up in it too. She was about to get filled with the Spirit too. Aubrey. <laughs> now Evan said, that looks like something that Jared Emerson painted before, which now Jesus isn't appearing as good as he used to, so I need another one, but. But I had Jesus, you know, on mine, and he was declaring the name, and just in a few seconds, there was an affinity with a man I never met. Because when we received the Spirit, even if we weren't a very loving person before, we began to experience love for God, love for His Word, love for His people. Do you know what I'm talking about here? When you, and when you, because here's why. When you experience being fully and unconditionally loved, 
it always causes you to become loving. Now, the problem is in this world, we rarely experience that, sometimes even with our own parents. But what does it feel like to be completely loved, accepted, with no hesitation, no criticism, no reluctance, no hesitation? You think if you ever experienced that, it would change you? Because you see, the, the experience of God's love, the full experience, it will remove fear. It will eradicate anger. It will crush envy and destroy resentment. And some of you have had your lives controlled by these things all your days. But look at this. You need to know this passage. 1 John 4. We know how much God loves us. Do you know, do you know how much God loves you? And we have put our trust in his love. God is love. See, that's how we know that he's on our side. If, if you just know the gospel as these facts and these verses, that doesn't mean you know anything. You have to know the love of God for you. Not even for him, for you. And that's what changes you. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows we've not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Have you experienced the love of God? And then I would say, then how does it show toward others? Because if you're angry often, you haven't experienced this. And anger is always the flip side of fear. Every bit of anger is driven by fear. But you may not know what it is you're afraid of. You have to ask God, what am I afraid of? And ask him to speak to you about it. Faith expressed in love will be evident in your actions. It'll show through kindness, through goodness, through generosity. If you're real stingy, you haven't experienced God's love. If you're unhelpful, if you say, oh, it's inconsistent, it's not convenient for me. You haven't, you haven't had this boundary-breaking love of God. You'll produce good works. You'll produce greater efforts to know Him and His Word. But look at this. There will be fruit from it. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save you? And the, the verb tense here implies the answer, no. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. 
unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, this isn't saying that good deeds have to be added to faith. What it's saying is good deeds are always evidence of faith. You see the difference? One's a condition. There are no conditions. The other is an expression. There are always expressions of a changed nature. So is your faith lovingly expressed? Is your faith lovingly expressed? What do you think? Is it? Okay, well, here comes the question then. To whom? See, we can all say, oh, I'm loving. Well, I say, okay, well, give me the name. How are you loving? To whom are you loving? Because these are actions. These aren't just feelings. These, these reveal themselves in action. And truly, what, everything you truly feel ultimately is revealed in actions. Everything you believe is ultimately revealed in your actions. Verse 7, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. See, these Judaizers were just saying that God requires more than mere belief in Jesus. That he still wants you to obey his law. This is his holy law. And he gave it to Israel. But it's the same as someone saying, okay, now you believe Jesus, but you also have to do these other things. Mm -mm. That's false teaching. And this teaching was confusing and enslaving these Galatians. And it might be confusing some of us too. And it ultimately enslaves as well. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Now, in the New Testament, yeast illustrates what? Sin, the presence of sin. Or in this instance, specifically false teaching, but which is also sin, distortion of truth. And this false teaching or this sin, it grows and it takes over. So here's the problem. You have to beware of the charismatic, apparently knowledgeable, even likable person who speaks persuasively but is actually misteaching the Scripture. And you know what? That includes me. You must know what you believe. Did you hear that? You must know what you believe. And doctrine must never be built on one or two verses. I mean, false doctrine is almost always one or two verses that are pulled out of context. But a correct understanding of Scripture is only developed by comparing Scripture with Scripture and synthesizing the whole of the Scripture without any contradicting the others. So if you have two verses that appear in direct opposition, you're misunderstanding something. Verse 10, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Now what this saying is, don't do Bible battle. You know, if you know someone and you want to argue, don't argue. I mean, if someone's really not teachable, 
then I think it's okay to have differences of opinion and discuss them and pray through them and look at Scripture together. But that's when you have two teachable people. Don't get in an argument with an unteachable person. And don't play Bible battle with them. It won't do anything but damage the relationship. But you have to know what you believe. But you just speak it in love, Ephesians 4.15. But you pray for God to intervene. Christians, we have to understand that everything important and everything eternal is accomplished by the Spirit. Not by us. And yet we so quickly want to jump into action. But everything eternal is by the hand of the Spirit. So you pray. You pray, you pray, you pray. Is the Spirit stirring you right now about some teaching that you know is wrong? How will you respond? How will you respond? Spiritual freedom is freedom to serve others as well. Verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I I do, then why am I still being persecuted? And he he means by the Jews there. These Judaizers, see, here's what they were saying. They were saying, not only should you keep this law and should you be circumcised if you haven't been, Paul's saying the same thing because, look, he had Timothy circumcised. And so he's, they're arguing that to these Gentiles, trying to influence them into, into error. But Paul's arguing that if he were really teaching that, then the Jewish leaders wouldn't be persecuting him. These Jewish leaders, then Paul shows his real expression, I mean, his real frustration, even his anger. It's pretty, it's kind of shocking what he says here at verse 12. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate or literally cut off themselves. Pretty strong language from Paul. And then he offers a stern warning about the nature of freedom in Christ. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that. That the first and most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the writings, all the prophets are summed up in this. And Romans 13 says you will never harm anyone that you love. And so that fulfills all the law. You can read Romans 13, 8 through 10. A Christian who lives by faith, led by the Spirit, will not view freedom as permission to sin without consequences. Rather, freedom will be viewed as freedom from domination by sinful desires. 
freedom from control by self-centered drives. See, you, you hear this. I mean, if you sin, does Jesus still love you? Y'all sure about this? Absolutely. But if you flaunt it and say, well, I'm sinning and Jesus still loves me. The question then is, but do you love him? Because this is a relationship. You see what I'm saying? You might have a spouse that lets you get away with anything. But is that loving toward that spouse? Yes, Christ still loves us, but do we love him? Because you know what? Freedom is never an excuse for sin. And if we see it as a free pass to sin, there's something vitally missing in a relationship with Christ. Because that doesn't look like love in any relationship. The person whose life is controlled by rules and prohibitions. Some of us grew up in churches like that. Some of you have lived like that. Some of you have tried to use rules to to escape addictions. And you know what? That's better than practicing them. You see what I'm saying? It's better than practicing them. But the problem is, if you're trying to use rules and, and just sheer willpower and prohibitions, ultimately... You will fail, you will fall, you will backslide, you will relapse. Because those rules, even though the behavior is better than practicing the destructive behavior, is still bondage, is still not freedom. And though it may keep you clean, it it may enable you to hold your tongue, it may enable you to do some things that are right for a while... Ultimately, you get exhausted. Ultimately, you lose the job. Ultimately, you lose the friend. Ultimately, you grow disappointed. And then you slide all the way back to where you started. Rules and laws and regulations and prohibitions can't change our old nature. You can't make it obey. You can subject it for a while. And sometimes you can put up a front, but you're fooling yourself as well as everybody else. But the Spirit of God, when He comes, He just cleans out the house. He regenerates you. He gives you a new nature that desires to please God. And I'm going to tell you what. There's a lot better motivation from desiring to please God than fearing God. And there's a desire to find comfort in Christ, not in sin. You know what? All kinds of sinful practices give you a jolt. They'll give you a positive. But none of it's lasting. It'll distract you. It'll relieve you a little bit. But it won't be lasting and you won't be changed. And then you'll have even more guilt. Even more shame. Even more despair. But the Spirit of God creates you anew. And you're walking with one that loves you. 
not one that's scolding you. It's completely different. Now, I know we have old wounds and we still are susceptible to sin, but you've got to get with God about that. And you've got to say, what is it that I'm believing about myself? What's the lie inside? And you've got to say, God, what do you want me to know? And we do transformation prayer in the in the care ministry, they do it at the Be Encouraged house to help you discover what is it in me. I need to hear the Spirit to be set free. And spiritual freedom allows you to escape being dominated by self, by personal passions. And instead, it enables you to deny yourself to obey God, to serve others out of a motivation to express love to God and others. It's a completely different motivation. But you know what? It's a motivation that you can continue. Verse 15, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. See, all these people, they, they were trying to, they were being circumcised. They were starting to obey the law. But look what's happening. They're turning on each other. And in every legalistic environment, you're going to find that. Because they're all comparing each other. And they're all hiding what's true inside. Because rules and laws can't change people. And it can't even cause them to get along or to care for each other. Competition arises. Because the focus is always on the outward. Comparisons happen, not love. Love results in harmony. Think about it. Because see, if I love you, I want you to do even better than me. And I'm not bothered if you excel me, exceed me. But when we're envious and we're competing and we're criticizing and we're scratching, that's a lack of love. Because love builds harmony. You understand this. You want your spouse to do wonderfully, don't you? You want your children to exceed everything you've accomplished, don't you? You want your grandchildren to know God to a greater degree and at a younger age than you do. All motivated by love. So do you serve others? And if so, how and whom? Counselors will be here at the front. They'll be here to pray with you, to talk with you. If you're confused about something, I always float around the outside, but they'll help you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing, and they'll just stand here with you as long as you want to talk. Father, we do thank you for your word. By your spirit, apply it to our lives, apply it to our situations. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love us unconditionally, Lord, enable us to love others likewise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do this is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Feel free to email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website and on our Brookwood app. 
Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.